I'll go up without introduction. <laughs> sure. The Jewish man from North Carolina. Oh, okay. We're friends now. Six, All eight. Right. Okay. Game on. Good. 350 linebacker, Ben Goodman. What? Let's give him a round of applause. You wanted to be a wide receiver, didn't you? It's, it's that, it's the Jefferson. Oh, come on. All right. Take it away, Ben. Good to be here. I, I, I say this every time I come here, but it's not like just being pleasant. I really love this church. I don't just love coming here and serving you. I just love this church. You don't know how uniquely unique you are. Um, if it weren't for Jesus, most of you would have nothing to do with each other. You know what I mean? But God's pulled you all together, various stages of your walk with God, um, young and old, and even the especially old. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just, this is how it's supposed to be. Um, you really are an example of what church can be. And uh, so it's a pleasure, privilege to, to serve you. I, uh, what was it, Bob, a year and a half ago, maybe? I did a, I did a Sunday school. year, year and a half? I did a Sunday school, or Bible school, what you did before the service. And, man, I, I actually just threw together some stuff, you know, about how important truth is, because I, I love truth. And, boy, it, it was the first time I'd shared it with this group, and really felt good with me. And if you've ever just sort of, you think something's true, then you communicate it, and then you go, oh my gosh, there's more to this than I thought, or it's more important than I thought. And it's just growing in me and growing in me. And then Bob's telling me that you did a, a small group where you following through. And what did I, am I saying this right? Uh, Thursday night. Okay, you're Thursday night. Yeah. And so, I didn't really wrestle, but I know I'd share, shared this with the, the early Sunday morning group. But since when I shared it, just more has come to me, and actually it just sets differently with me. It feels like it's more important than it was when I first shared it. And if you were here this mo- the, the early part this morning, I'm feeling a greater urgency. So really what I'm sharing is not some recycled thing, but it's a message that I'd shared, um, but it's like 2.0. And uh, I can't tell you how important I believe this is for us. I'm, I'm not trying to push my own message. I'm not trying to get applause, but I'm going. I'm taking this seriously, and I'm just hoping you can too. And nobody's going to get beat up. But sometimes God, he speaks clearly because he cares for us. So I want to pray, and I got a message. You ready? And everybody says no. <laughs> Holy Spirit, when you, when, when you mix yourself with your word, your word brings life, brings power, it brings transformation. It challenges us. 
It, it breaks rocks. It, it burns up stuff that doesn't belong. Your word has a power when the Holy Spirit is sort of woven into um, the word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would ride upon your words this morning for our sakes, for the sakes of the people that you're going to entrust to us. Um, ride on these words for the sake of your name, which we carry with us wherever we go. Amen. Okay. See, now that I have my reading glasses on, you're all fuzzy, but that's all right. I know what most of you look like. Um, I have this burden to prepare the church. Uh, I only have a small piece of that. And I want to start off with Joshua. God tells Joshua, this is a time of transition. You know, Moses' way of leading the people toward the promised land, incredible blessings, incredible testimonies, just incredible foundation was laid. But then going toward the promised land is different than actually taking the land, right? And I'm sure a lot of the people, uh, a lot of the people of God, we're going, hey, we're doing really good. We have testimony. We have pillar of fire. We've seen all these miracles. You know, people are getting healed. You know, what the heck? You know, you raise up a bronze snake. People look at it. They get healed. Man, we're killing it. We're killing it. And all along, God, God's saying, look, I will do great and supernatural things in you, to you, and through you on the way to what I really have for you. So that is a... Very happy child, way back there. Was that the one who said amen? No, that wasn't an amen kid. Anyway, so God tells Joshua, I'm about to lead you into an expansion of your influence. You're, you're actually going to take land, experience more of the promises that I have for you as a people. And he says, start praying, uh, start preparing now. And what was interesting is this land, God says, this is your land, but there's a lot of people who live there. A lot of people who live there, they have different gods, they have different ideologies, they have different worldviews. They're just, comp- they're, they're just different. And from God's point of view, it's dark. It's dark. And they will oppose you as you go forward. But God's sitting there going, I'm going to take you into the battle. And if you prepare now, you'll win. You'll be able to experience the 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 the, uh, the promises of God, be able to experience them. But you got to do it my way, all right? And here's one of the things: it's a promise in Joshua chapter one, verses seven through nine. This is God preparing His people for future battle, preparing His people to experience more of God's promises more of God's inheritance than they ever had before. So he says, uh, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Now, we're in New Testament, so there's a law. Why don't we just replace that with the word, you know, with, with the word, with the Bible, okay? Be careful to obey all the word that my so- servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. Isn't this interesting? 
You're going into foreign territory, conflicting ideologies, ungodly thinking, and listen, I want, I want you to just double down on your commitment to scripture. Double down. Don't, don't, don't try to compromise. Don't try to go, well, this is what God says, but the world says this, or this is what God says. I have a better idea. Let's, you know, you know, let's have some balance here. God's getting, don't do it. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Just do things my way, and then you'll be successful. Where to go? I know it. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it. Think on this uh, day and night so that you, you might be careful to actually do everything in it. The first one is just think about Scripture. Know Scripture. Get, just weave Scripture into how you think. But then it says, be careful to do it. Put it into practice. Just a real simple, put it into practice. You don't even have to be perfect. Have you ever tried to forgive someone that's really hurt you? First time around, it's not easy. And so you just keep on, I forgive him. Next time you see me, I, I forgive him. Oh, I forgive him. You know, oh, I forgive him, right? As, as they're walking across the street and you there are there stopped at a stop sign and they don't know you're there and you're ready to wait for them to get right in front of you so you can just run them over and you go, no, I forgive them. They don't know their life's been saved. Sometimes it takes a while. You just do it. Just do what you know that God wants you to do. And you'll be successful. It says, be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is a a beautiful picture of the kind of war that we're in and the kind of war that we will be in. There's a war over truth. Now, many of you are sitting there going, Amen, brother, I know the truth, and the rest of the people are stupid. That's how some people are. They think because they know something, they're better. God says, you know, knowledge puffs up by itself, but love builds up. Doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean you shouldn't know stuff, but just because you know stuff doesn't make you better than the people who don't know stuff. Does that make sense? That wasn't even in my notes. That was for free. I just learned something. Anyway, there is and will increasingly be a war over what's true. One of our theologians in our, in our, in our Manna University, he came and said, he, I go to him. He knows stuff, man. He sits down in my office, shuts the door, and goes, Ben, I'm having a tough time. I go, what's the matter? You know, I, I know he had a great wife, has a great wife and all that. What's going on? And he goes, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what's true. And I go, what are you talking about? I mean, are you having a crisis of faith? He goes, no, 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 no. You know, I know the Bible's true and all that sort of stuff, but there's so many narratives, so many ways, of, and I'm trying to figure out how how can I understand Scripture and navigate all these competitors for the truth. I just don't know what to believe. Should I believe CNN? Should I believe Fox? Should I believe whatever? What should I believe? What's true? And the, and the truth is, right now we live in a culture where the narrative is more important than the truth. The narrative. 
the way of thinking, what the, what people want you to think, that framing, if it can influence you, it doesn't matter if it's true. What matters, does it influence you? So there's going to be more and more and more and more of a war. The kingdom of God is on an increasingly collision course with the world. Can't wait to see how things happen with this ongoing election. So what's true? What's true? How do we define our terms? This is a big deal. There is a war over the truth. And look, we're Americans, and I think that's a gift from God and all that. But there's this idea that, well, I'm entitled to think and believe what I want. Uh, That's not true. You're all mad at me now. What we're entitled to is not, we're entitled to have nobody gets to manipulate how we think. Nobody gets to tell us how we should believe. We're entitled to not be brainwashed. But to go, well, I'm entitled to believe what I want to believe, just think of that. Think of that. I believe I I am a very... I'm an ostrich. I really believe that I'm an ostrich. I'm an ostrich. I believe that. Or have you ever confronted something? Someone, you know, they just lied to you? Or they're mixed up and you go, no, here's the proof, here's the truth. And they go, I don't care if it's true, I believe it. As if I'm entitled to be deceived. It's as if I'm entitled to be nuts or deluded. Or I'm not being mean to anybody here, but there's this mentality. Don't tell me how to think. Well, nobody should tell someone how to think. But this idea that we're entitled to believe what we want simply because we believe it. Oh my gosh, that sets up sets us up for a mess. So there's a war. We've all experienced it. Now, I want you to imagine, let's say you love Jesus. You really do love Jesus. And imagine you were back when Jesus walked the earth, and, you know, he's doing his Jesus things, raising the dead, preaching, and everybody's going, ooh, wow, that was anointed, all that. And so you know, you know, just stick with him, and you'll be fine. Just follow Jesus. You'll be fine. Imagine being one of Jesus' groupies. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. You know, you're one of his groupies. I'm with him. That's Jesus. What do you want me to do? Sure, I'll do it. I love you, Jesus. So here you are. You're totally committed to Jesus. And while you're walking along the road, Jesus stops, and he turns, and he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Or another translation. This is Matthew 24. See to it that no one misleads you. See to it that no one leads you astray. Just see to it. Now, imagine that. I love you, Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. Yeah, I'm not perfect. But, you know, if I'm following you, I should be good. Long as I'm a sincere follower of Jesus, I should be good. And Jesus is talking to his sincere followers, and he's going, 
See to it that no one deceives you. That would, that would mess my brain up. How could I get deceived if I'm a Jesus follower? How, how could that happen? Well, I'm not quite sure how it happens, but if Jesus says it could happen, that means it could happen. And if Jesus says it could happen, that is usually an opportunity to be humbled. Have you ever been absolutely sure that what you thought was right and then you found out you were wrong? That's so hard to admit. It's absolutely difficult. You know, you have an argument with your wife and my gosh, you know, she's wrong. And she's going, no, you're wrong. Go back and forth, back and forth, you know. And then all of a sudden you think about it and then you go, oh my gosh. Not only was I wrong, but she was right. Do you know how hard it is just to go, honey, I just want to apologize. Not only were you right, but I was wrong. That's hard. During the argument, you sincerely believe. You sincerely believe that you're right. You're not trying to lie. You're, but you were just wrong. You were, you were sincerely deceived. Am I the only person who's had that happen to? Oh, she's saying yes. She's going, yes, Ben. You're the only one. We're here to intervene on your behalf. So Jesus, he warns us as we follow him. He warns us, watch out that no one deceives you. Notice, he's, he's not saying, hey, follow me, and I'll make sure you're not deceived. He doesn't do that. He says, as you follow me, it's on you. It's your responsibility to make sure that no one deceives you. No one leads you astray. No one just sort of puts weird ideas into your head. Okay? So I'm going to talk about Things that can deceive us. You ready? You're not ready. You're going, my God, I got up early this morning to listen to this. This might save your life. This might save your family. This might save your community. No pressure. Our ignorance can deceive us. And I'm telling you, Ignorance is dangerous. Go ahead, get married, and only use Scripture if it benefits your idea of what your happy marriage looks like. Go ahead, see how that works for you. Instead of going, okay, we're going to get married. God, what's your plan for marriage? What's your plan? I'm t- Scripture is really clear. Hosea says, uh, 4 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It doesn't say, My people are hindered. It doesn't say, My people took a good sidetracked. Do you realize that if we don't know something, if we, if we don't know, really know that sin, Unrepentant sin leads to death, leads to misery. It leads to a hollowness of soul. If we don't realize that, when we hit sin, 
we try to manage it or justify it or it's just an amazing thing or how to do marriage or how to do money. How many times have, have we just, well, I'm just going to do my best and, you know, and then it doesn't work out and then you go, I wonder what scripture says. Says that, well, that's different. See, I can speak Minnesotan. That's different. And then you start doing things God's way. And over time you go, oh, God's a genius. Ignorance. Ignorance can deceive us. And ignorance is dangerous. You know one of the reasons why you have pastors saying, please read your Bible, even if you can't memorize it, just read your Bible and just get it in you. I mean, you're reading a whole bunch of other things. You're watching a whole bunch of other things. And you're not memorizing everything, right? Just read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, because after a while, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what Scripture said to your heart, and it's just amazing. You start seeing things different. You, you, you lean into Scripture a lot more quick. Some of us go to Scripture as if it's like a great life preserver. When actually, I think it's in Deuteronomy, it says, these words are your life. So I'm really encouraged this. Wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, just read your Bible. Just read your Bible. And if you don't like reading, um, listen to it. And if you don't like reading or listening, please, at the end of the service, come up so that I may lead you to Jesus. No, only kidding. Ooh, I'm supposed to laugh at that. Here's another thing that can deceive us. Our behavior. Disobedience is dangerous. Many times we disobey and we know it. And we go, uh. But you do it more and more. After a while, that uh, is not as strong. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, listen, you want to know what real freedom is? If you take what I say and put it into practice, and that's going to be hard. You've got to wrestle with it. And put it into practice makes sense. But if, if, if you take a hold of my teaching, put it into practice, then you'll be my disciple, and then you will know the truth the way you're supposed to know it. And the truth will set you free. There's something about just knowing what Scripture says and putting it to practice, then you experience freedom. But... If you know what Scripture says and don't put it into practice and just know it, James 1, verses 22, it says it here. Don't many, merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but do what it says. Put it into practice. If we, a, lot of, a lot of people know a whole lot, but they're still held captive. It's the ones who know what they know and they put it into practice. Those are the ones who are free. Those are the ones who are actually thinking clearly. Here's another one. And this is for those of you who are, I'm not critical of, of the Gen, Gen Z or any of the Gens that are younger than me. But have you noticed that feelings have become the primary alternative to truth. And even for us older people, well, I know that's what Scripture says, but I'm not comfortable with that. I'm just not comfortable with that. 
Scripture is really clear. Our hearts can deceive us. Sincerity alone. It's good that we have sincerity. Sincerity alone is dangerous. Proverbs 19, is one translation says, it's dangerous to have zeal. It's dangerous to have enthusiasm. It's, da- it's dangerous to, to be really excited about something without knowledge. And another translation says, ignorant zeal is worthless. Haste makes waste. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at our culture. There's a lot of things. You've heard of virtue signaling? Virtue signaling is when ungodly movements don't say that we're an ungodly movement. What they do is they attach themselves to godly words. I could spend a lot of time on this. But we all believe in social justice, right? But the social justice movement has actually hijacked Christian words. And you have a lot of people sincerely virtue signaling, but they're actually being hoodwinked in so many areas. That don't make me a racist. That don't make me a sexist. All I know is there are a lot of people who are really sincere because they have been tricked. There have, there's been worldly movements that have hijacked genuine Christian feelings. In Jeremiah 17.9, the heart by itself is deceitful above all things. Listen, you don't throw your emotions out. You don't deny your emotions. That's just dumb. But when how you feel is the primary filter for truth, you'll eventually be deceived. And Jesus says, watch out that no one, no one deceives you. You know, God does look on the heart, but he really wants a heart that's informed and framed by the truth. That's why spending time together, receiving more from the Holy Spirit, and just there's a commitment to listening to the Word, meditating on the Word. You don't have to be theologians. Please don't anybody think, oh, I just have to be a theologian. I have to know the Word. No, 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 no. Just get the Word in you. Let it, you know, just wash you. And after a while, the Word has a power to do its work, and it just sort of washes you of deception. Sometimes you go, oh my gosh, I used to think this. Oh gosh, I can't do that because this is what Scripture has. Here's another one. Here's another thing that can mislead us or deceive us. Our sin. Our sin can deceive us. And sin is dangerous. Like, no duh. (laughs) Right? But in Hebrews chapter 3 it says, encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin, after a while, will help you justify stuff or defend stuff or explain it. It's just an amazing thing. If you've ever had a stronghold, a stronghold is a way of thinking that you sincerely believe. But it actually is not true, and it stands against the knowledge of God. 
It stands against the knowledge and appreciation of God's ways. That our sin can actually deceive us in how we understand God. Here's another one that may or may not be relevant to some of you. Our traditions, what we're used to, what we're familiar with, what worked before, all these really great things, our traditions, I'm not saying they will deceive us, but they can deceive us. Tradition by itself is dangerous. Could you imagine the people of God telling Joshua, yeah, let's go take the land, but that's not how we used to do it. That's just not how we used to do it. When Moses was doing it, he delegated, and we all moved together and all that sort of stuff. And yep, that's our tradition. This is what we're used to. And it worked. Awesome. So therefore, since it worked before, let's not change it. Let's not. And meanwhile, Joshua's gone. Now, a new season. Um, I'm not just going to delegate. What I'm going to do is empower leaders so instead of being fruitful, we can multiply. It's just an amazing thing. Our traditions are good. But sometimes our traditions can get in the way of the next things that God has for us. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not being, my heart, I'm not religious. But I remember when I was a Christian who actually thought the baptism of the Holy Spirit was from the devil. And that tongues were from the devil. I mean, really. I mean, I followed Jesus and all, and a friend of mine said, hey, there's this church. I go, don't go to church. It's one of those churches. You know? And not that they handle snakes or things like that. I've, I've never been to one of those churches, and I live in North Carolina. But I saw, I saw a documentary. I tell you, don't go to those churches. <laughs> but anyway, you can come out of a tradition that is good, that is godly, but it's limited. And when God leads you into a new thing, you go, well, that's not what I'm used to. Okay. But if where God's leading you to is biblical, you don't want your tradition to get in the way of the the more that God has for you. Now, this is what Jesus said. He's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees... Yeah, they were actually good guys. They loved God, they loved the law and all that sort of stuff. But it was it was tradition was really important. Jesus said to them, So you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Like, well, I know this is what scripture says, but that's not how I was raised. I know that's what scripture says, but you know, I was warned to get I mean, it's just amazing how we take what we're used to, what we're familiar with and use that to nullify the clear teaching of Scripture. Later on, I mean, in Mark, I mean, Jesus got really Jewish. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. You nullify the Word of God by your traditions that you have handed down. I am not saying our traditions are bad. I'm not saying that the way we do things is bad. But what do you do when what you're used to, how you were raised, and all that conflicts with what God wants you to do or what truth is. Many of us, many of us have been taught that the way to forgive is just manage the hurt 
and stay away from people. And that works for a while. And then it eats up your soul. And then finally you go, oh, no, no, I actually have to forgive them as Jesus has forgiven me, and I pray for them and bless them. Oh, that's not how I was raised. Well, time to change. Tradition by itself is not bad. But if that rules your walk with God, it can deceive you. And that kind of deception is dangerous. And here's a sort of the last thing. Never listen to a... I mean, it's not like we're liars, but we play with the truth sometimes. I just... One last thing. And I've got all these subsets. Worldly thinking can deceive us. And worldly thinking, in my estimation, is very dangerous. Very dangerous. Now, for those of you going, is this an all or nothing? You know, I was raised a committed atheist. I mean, I had worldly thinking. And I'm not, it was not, not just sex, drugs, rock and roll, and worldly that way. I'm talking about, I thought in terms the way the world does. I reasoned the way the world taught me. My values were not kingdom values. They were worldly values. It's, it's what the world is used to, right? I was very competitive, and I wanted to achieve. You know what the world teaches? In order to achieve, you got to push people aside or walk over them. That's how you make your way. That's worldly thinking. Man, I was good at that. Oh, God help me. In any case, worldly thinking can deceive us. Worldly thinking is very dangerous. Let me, ex- let me explain this. God looks on the heart and our sincerity, but he also looks at what we think and how we think. Why? In Proverbs 27, verse 3, it says, as a, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. I tell you, how we think sort of determines like our identity, how we live our life. How we think affects everything. It affects everything. If you think you're not valuable, or you think that because you were sexually molested, that somehow, some way, you are defiled beyond repair, You'll live the rest of your life just trying to manage that. And it affects everything. It'll affect relationships. It will affect your relationship with God. You go, God, how could you let that happen to me? It's just amazing. How we think affects everything. Worldly thinking is really like an unbiblical worldview. Again, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a theologian. There, you needed that. You don't have to be a theologian. Worldly thinking is simply having embracing unbiblical ideologies, ways of thinking. Worldly thinking is rooted in what is called the world system. Book of John's always talking about, you know, but we we know that don't love the world. Don't love this system. Don't love this way of doing things. We're in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. The world system, this is where it gets weird here. According to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it's not up there. The world system is fundamentally 
satanic in nature. There's the kingdom way of doing things, and then the worldly way, the carnal way, right? That way, that system, that way of thinking is fundamentally satanic. Now, don't be calling people satanic if they're worldly, all right? But in 1 John, it says, the whole world, that whole world system, lies under the power, lies under the influence of the evil one. I can give you a whole bunch of reasons, a whole bunch of examples how that works out in our life. Now, what most of us do, and I do it, is we know what the kingdom says, and we know what worldly thinking is, and we try to say, well, Live a balanced life. The only problem is, 2 Corinthians says, For what partnership can righteousness have with wickedness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? I mean, this is so important. The world says there are many avenues to the truth, or there are many gods. So long as you sincerely believe in one, you're good to go. And who are you to judge someone else? And all that sort of stuff. And Jesus is saying, mm, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. There's not even a second best. I'm really the only game in town. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the world. The world and the kingdom of God can't be bridged. Can't be intermingled. Now, when we first get saved, we have worldly thinking. As we follow God, guess what? We throw off old ways of thinking, and we adopt new ways. God, that's sanctification. Sanctification has a lot to do with God changing how we see things, how we understand things. He's very patient. He doesn't yell at us if we have worldly thinking. He'll challenge us so that we surrender that way of thinking, and then God gives us a better way to think. Here's a couple scriptures. I want to nail this down. Just for the heck of it, how many of you would really like to know God's will for your life? Everybody should be raising their hands and their feet. You know, and even if you don't believe it, just do it so nobody looks at you and go, heathen, right? Here's the warning. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'll give you a couple of the translations. Uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Worldliness can get in, get in the way of you really knowing God's will. Isn't that funny? Here's another one, and it's not translation, but the New Living Translation. Sometimes they hit it. You know, it's just sort of, don't copy the behavior, thinking, and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There it is. And here's another one. This is my, this is my favorite one. One of these days I'm going to write something really important on this. Colossians 2.8. This is sort of like Jesus, what Jesus said, but Paul put some 
some oomph to it. Don't be held captive by worldly truth. Our captivity in our soul and in our mind has a lot to do with how we think, what we believe to be true. So see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which is based on human tradition and the principles and spiritual forces of the world system rather than on Christ and his teaching. Think about it. Don't let anybody hold you captive to hollow and deceptive philosophy. A lot of the ideologies that are going around, this is not a political thing. This is a spiritual thing. There is a war over what's really true. The stuff that's going on is persuasive. There's a lot of pressure to conform and all that. But they're hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition, human reasoning, and the spiritual forces and principles of this world system rather than on Jesus and what he says. See to it that you don't be held captive by what's popular, what's influential. I mean, it's a process. I still have worldly thinking in certain areas and all. But I really believe that Jesus is right in saying, you know, watch out. Nothing or no one deceives me. I'm willing to think differently when I see clearly what God says. I'm a better man for it. My family's better. Ministry's better. Everything's better. Worldly thinking can hinder Jesus' work in us, and it can hinder Jesus' work through us. How do I know that? Peter. Peter had a great heart. Jesus, I love you. I love your movement. I love all that you are. I'll follow you anywhere. And he even had the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. He had it. He had the revelation. I mean, he's in. And he's a devoted follower. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, I'm going to die. As we go forward, I'm going to die. And like, I know what I would have done. I said, well, Jesus, uh, I love you, and I love your mission. You can't die. I know what I'll do. I will defend you. I will not let that happen. And remember what Jesus said. He goes, oh, thank you so much. I needed that protection. No, you know what he said? Harsh. He goes. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, or you are a stumbling block to me because you have in mind the thoughts of man instead of the thoughts of God. Poor Peter. But, 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 no. Jesus was still able to follow Jesus. Peter was still able to follow Jesus. But, I'll bet you as he kept on going, he started thinking differently. I don't want to be in a place where Jesus goes, look, I appreciate your sincerity, and up to this point you've been doing good, but how you think is getting in the way of the work I want to do in you. How you think is getting in the way of what I want to do through you. 
This is what many people do when they, when you hear what I'm saying, you go, oh, so you want us to, 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 to read the Bible and, and, and be super spiritual? You know, that, that just sounds like brainwashing. And I want to tell you, it is. The issue is not whether or not we're brainwashed. The issue is, what do we wash our brain with? What's your default and what counts as truth? I believe as we go forward, watch as, as we follow God, we let God's word work in us, the Holy Spirit works with us. We'll start not only changing our behavior, we'll probably get healed up, but what you'll see is we'll think differently. We'll have a worldview that even if the world disagrees with it, we know it's true because God said it. And that will get us through whatever the enemy wants to throw at us in the future. There's two things I want to do. I think that God wants to do. I want to pray for us. You know, repentance doesn't mean, well, you've been doing bad things, stop it and do good things. It includes that. Repentance is just thinking differently. And the Holy Spirit loves to kickstart us. I want to pray for us. And there's another thing that the Holy Spirit, Spirit wants to do for anybody who spiritually is just feeling a little dry or a little thirsty. But I want to pray first this. Lord Jesus, we hear your warning. We will not be condemned. We will not try to defend ourselves. But you have challenged us. And Lord, the truth is we can't change how we think all by ourselves. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Not just today. The Holy Spirit, would you start teaching us your word, teaching us your way in such a way that it just sort of, we see the difference between how we've been brought up, our tradition, or what, what we prefer actually conflicts with your ways. And just by your spirit, can we yield? Just teach us how to yield so you can teach us your ways. God, not just in January, but God, make this a lifestyle that not only the enemy can't shake from us, but a lifestyle that we can pass on to future generations. Amen. Here's the second thing. You ready? How many of you just right now are just going, I'm a little tired? Not because I talk too long. How many of you go, you know, I'm a little wore out. December was sort of tough. Or life is, I'm wore out. How many, how many of you just sort of wore out? And that's, that's not a sin. How many of you just feel a little wore out? Yeah, all three of you, okay? How many of you just have really good roots in, in God, but you're like grass that's been under the hot sun for too long? Have you ever seen that? Grass has got good roots, but it's sort of burned. And then a nice summer rain comes, and you can just watch it turn green. How many, how many of you just feel just a little crispy? Okay. Raise your hands. Okay. Okay. Take your body and follow your hand, and please stand. Place it. If you're tired, 
if you're dry. If you're tired and dry. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does? He goes, well, if you want my touch, you have to get your act in gear, repent of everything, and be really good, mature Christians, and then I will touch you. No, that's religion. The things we want, we come as is, and the Holy Spirit will touch us. He will fill us. There's some of you who remember what it was to feel Spirit-filled. You remember. Some of you need a refilling. Some of you going, I believe in that stuff in theory in a distance, but I've never really done it. I mean, it's almost everybody standing. But what the heck? What the heck? Can we do it just once? You don't, he's sitting there going, what are you going to do? Right? Brian, where are you? Yeah. Brian's going to get up and do some interpretive dance. The Holy Spirit's going to show up. <laughs> no laughing in church. Wow, I guess this is the word of the Lord. I hope you heard the, the warning that God's giving. But if we heed the warning, then we will be open to have the, how the Holy Spirit can kickstart us. And he wants to kickstart us. You know how you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Ask. That's all you got to do. So, won't we ask God to touch us, to refresh us? It's like you don't even have to repent. Anybody up to that? And if you're going, I'm not just dry. When I walk, I hear, right? Feel free. Don't think twice if you go, nine. Um, you want to come up front? Come up front. And we'll pray that the Holy Spirit will come touch you. But if you're not comfortable with that, stay where you are and ask God to touch you right where you are. But we need the Holy Spirit to help us heed this warning. We need the Holy Spirit for him to refresh us and encourage us so we can walk out this battle. So, whatever cool background music you're going to do, do it. Anybody want to come up on your mark, get set, come on up. I'll lay hands on you. There you are. Smart man. I'm not getting mad at the ladies, but you, you know something usually with a, something like this? It's the ladies who come up. You know, oh, I just feel so dry and all that. And here are all these guys coming up. I think that's awesome. Okay, um, I'm going to start praying. And use your Minnesota lips and your Minnesota voice and start asking God to just come to you, to fill you. He wants to touch you. He wants to bring his presence to you in a way where you go. "Mm." Some of you, right now, your soul is like a log jam. You love God. It's not the rock in the middle of the... It's like a whole bunch of beavers have put a whole bunch of logs in your river. And you can't get the logs out. If that's you, come on up. The Holy Spirit will touch that log jam. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for victory. Thank you for what you've done for us, in us, and through us. But we know there's more. And we heed your call to prepare now for navigating 
the awesome battles to take land in the future. And we heed your warning that truth is important. But before we can even just launch out, Holy Spirit, we need you. So just, Holy Spirit, would you please come? Start at, just you ask God. Holy Spirit, would you just please come? I need your touch. I, I need the sense of your presence. There's transformation in the presence of God. I've known people who've been, they've been tied up with their tradition and they know there's more and they just can't break out of it. And they, oh, Holy Spirit, please come touch my traditions. And when they experience the presence of God, they go, oh, I've been missing that all these years. So Lord, would you start a season of outpouring on this church that will refresh, encourage, bring repentance, and bring truth in a more powerful way than ever before. Amen. Let me start praying. Bob, we're not going to counsel you. We're just going to lay hands on you. In the name of Jesus, we'll get the young one first. up and lay hands on feel free to if you've never spoken in tongues and you'd like to just whisper it I don't want to do the tongues thing or do you remember when you used to pray in tongues but now you're just you have whispering lips God can restore that in the name of Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit One touch can push you forward. One touch. Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus. Refreshment.